Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia, and it is time for the TT Time with Dr. Tarver is a wellness-based podcast. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider. Here we are in our third week of, of June. We're celebrating both Pride Month and also bringing some awareness to National Gun Violence Awareness Month. And so I want to talk to you all today about how we deserve things. That's what our series this month is entitled. And we are discussing all the things that we deserve. Safety, respect, to be seen and heard, to receive responsive and affirming and appropriate health care, and to have legislation that allows us to be safe. So week one, we discussed creating safe spaces for the LGBTQIA plus community. Week two, we discussed LGBTQIA plus affirming mental health services. And this week, we are discussing the importance of affirming and loving our youth who identify as LGBTQIA+. So I'm going to talk a lot about kind of some research and some stats today, only because I think it's really important as we understand what our young people are experiencing. So youth who identify as LGBTQIA+, are actually much more likely to experience mental health concerns than their peers who may identify as straight. Um, and, and I think probably most people would think, oh, that's because they're struggling with their identity and they um, are struggling with what the Bible says about their sexual orientation and they're confused because they've been exposed to um, homosexuality, which is not a word that I use, but I know that it is a popular word um, particularly in communities of color. And so I want to be very clear that the research actually reflects that mental health struggles are most often correlated to a lack of acceptance in families and bullying at school. Why is this important, Dr. T? Um, I've talked to you all this week about trying to just provide some education and dispel some myths associated with the LGBTQIA population Sexual orientation is not an illness. Sexual orientation is on a continuum. Sexual orientation is relatively stable over time, but we do learn more about ourselves in who we are as sexual beings and also in our identities as we grow and have safe spaces. And that gender identity and sexual orientation are not the same, same thing. So typically most of us, by the time we're teenagers, have an understanding of who we're attracted to. Um, and that is also the point where we may feel more comfortable starting to express ourselves, who we are as a gender person, as a, in our gender identity, and whether that's something that's fluid or, or um, something that's evolving, or whether uh, we have expressed uh, interest in um, different orientations uh, that we're, you know, navigating through and we're feeling more comfortable identifying and connecting with our social groups, right? So those teen years are important years. So when a lot of kids actually start dating. So what we're seeing is that suicide rates actually go up um, with our young people who identify as LGBT, LGBTQIA+, um, and that for teenagers, we're seeing a particular increase in that um, age group. And why is that? Because of the anti-LGBTQ plus IA messages, family rejection, and fear, right? Because all of those things affect a young person's self-esteem. Think back to when you were a teenager, what was really important to you? Being accepted, 
having a group that you were connected to, feeling loved and valued, um, recognizing that that love for you was not conditional. And so um, according to the Human Rights Campaign in a 2018 survey, um, they found that 91% of LGBTQ youth reported pride in their identity, but 70% reported feelings of worthlessness or hopelessness, right? And so I know you're saying, well, how can you have pride in your identity, but still feel worthless or hopeless? Because other people in your life are not affirming of your identity. You feel very comfortable in who you are. You take pride in who you are, but the people around you are making anti-LGBTQ statements. Um, they are not being positive. They are, well, how do you even know? Where'd you even get that from? And 67% of respondents in that same survey said that they had heard members of their family make these negative statements, ask them questions, try to um, get them to change how their um, sexual orientation is. Um, and these feelings of rejection are highest among our LGBTQ youth of color. 11% said um, that whereas they, uh, um, well, 11%, only 11% said that they view their, that people of their racial or ethnic group positively. So even though that 91% was like, hey, I feel good about me, I don't really have a positive view of the people um, who identify with the same ethnicity as I do, only 11%. And so that's very startling numbers, but we do know that um, unfortunately, a lot of the disparaging comments are made in communities of color, which is why our, our young people in communities of color who identify as LGBTQ often have higher rates of both suicide and mental health issues. How high, you say? 2016 study conducted by the Centers for Disease Control said that youth who identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual consider suicide at nearly three times the rate of young people who identify as heterosexual or straight. And in 2019, Trevor Project, who you've heard me reference quite a bit throughout this series, um, conducted a, a study and 39% of LGBTQ youth seriously cont contemplated suicide in the prior year with 71% of LGBTQ youth feeling sad or hopeless. And we have been having a lot of discussions about um, what our kids should be exposed to, being um, able to have discussions in their schools, having support groups in their schools. And a lot of people feel like, well, I don't want my kid exposed to that. They need to take that out. But I want you to think about where most of your social relationships came from when you were a teenager, where most of your connections came from where most of the things that gave you worth and meaning and purpose came from. A lot of them, particularly as we transition into adolescence, comes from our peer groups, comes from our activities that we're involved in at school, comes from our academic performance. So if school is not a safe place, then you can understand why a young person would feel sad or hopeless, because that's the majority of where they're spending their time during a weekday. And a 2018 study found that our transgender youth experience mental health diagnoses at higher rates than their peers and are more likely to report abuse. Remember, we're talking about gun violence as well this month. Um, one of the studies that came out um, were expressing that 58% uh, of transgender and non-binary students said that other people discouraged them from using a bathroom that was consistent with their gender, um, that less than half of them were comfortable feeling able to be out, or LGBT, this is for all, all LGBTQ youth, less than half of them were out to an adult at school. 
76% said the political climate affected their mental health. Two out of three reported that someone had tried to convince them to change their sexual orientation. These are the things that our young people are experiencing. And what we know is our youth are much more healthy, more productive, um, have better overall well, uh, mental well-being when they are loved, when they are affirmed, when they are in safe spaces, and when they are allowed to be a fully complete realized human being so that there is not any one focus on any area, but they're seen for all of these wonderful attributes. And so what ends up happening is because the political environment has, has fueled this as well, um, now youth are, are questioned about uh, what they're experiencing at school and not in a positive way. Like, hey, are you, you know, are they trying to turn you? Is there an agenda? Um, right. And so we know these are not things that are true, but unfortunately, the political discourse um, is inconsistent with research, is inconsistent with the experiences of young people. And it's based on a lot of fear um, and, and frankly, information that's been distorted. And so it's driving a narrative that only that is not only inaccurate, but it's also having a negative impact on our young people. Our young people during COVID actually started. Um, having significant challenges with their mental health. And in fact, research has shown that mental health issues went up in young people during COVID. One of those reasons was that our young people did not feel safe in their homes, right? And so during this COVID experience, our young people were saying, I'm in environments where my parents are not affirming. Um, they're not using uh, my preferred pronouns. They're not using my preferred name. I'm not able to dress in ways that are comfortable for me. I'm not able to fully express myself. Um, I'm not able to have other people around me who are supportive and affirming. And so home no longer becomes a safe space. And in fact, we also saw aggression, violence toward youth go up during COVID as well. And so we had more instances of abuse that was happening in homes. And I do also think it's important for us to recognize what happens when there is a hostile climate outside of school, that hostile climate comes into school. So the Center for Disease Control, a trusted source uh, in a survey on youth risk behavior, identified that 34% of LGBT youth experienced the bullying at school. Nearly a fifth of those students experienced physical or dating violence. 18% of LGBT youth reported sexual assault, and roughly one in 10 LGBT youth were threatened or injured with a weapon at school. And so it isn't by coincidence, in my opinion, that Pride Month, as well as National Gun Violence Awareness Month, are in the same month. Because what we know is there is a lot of violence that is perpetuated against our LGBTQIA population. And it starts with our young people because of the information they're hearing from adults. That's not accurate information that's causing them to engage in hateful behaviors. We know what's most important for our young people is for them to have conversations, for them to understand each other. You don't have to um, have the same belief system. You don't have to have um, the same interests. You don't have to have uh, the same peer group or connections in order to be respectful. Um, literally, kindness does not cost you a thing.
but it does take time to develop those skills. And a lot of our young people are saying that kindness is leaving out of the school systems because of these very stringent things that are being put in place at school that are no longer allowing schools to be safe spaces. Um, one of the things that we also recognize, um, 2020 Trevor Project survey, LGBTQ youth were 1.7 times more likely than their peers to experience anxiety and depression. That's even higher among trans and non-binary non youth. They're 2.4 times more likely to face anxiety or depression. Um, also recognizing that um, some of our LGBTQ youth are reporting higher levels of stress. Nearly all respondents, 95% in a 2018 human rights campaign study reported trouble sleeping at night. In the previous week prior to them completing the survey, 77 reported feeling depressed. 26 percent, 26 reported feeling safe at school. Only 26 percent. And yes, our young people are dealing with the same kind of issues, whether they identify as LGBTQIA+, or they're just dealing with pre-adolescence and adolescence. We know that there's puberty, trying to fit in, conflict with parents, school, planning for the future. Um, but also for our LGBTQ youth, um, there is this additional rejection or stigma that can come along with how they identify in terms of their gender or their sexual orientation. And our young people are already trying to compete with what they're seeing on social media, trying to fit in, trying to be accepted, trying to receive these likes and affirmations. And so sometimes being a bully is a way to be able to do that. And so they're targeting each other for various aspects of their identity and also their sexual orientation. And I think it's very important for us um, to also talk about the presence of eating disorders. 2020 Trusted Source Survey stated that 54% of LGBTQ, um, LGBT youth received a diagnosis of at least one eating disorder, right? Um, and 21% may have had an eating disorder, but maybe it wasn't identified. LGBTQ youth are less likely to have a family member who they can turn to for help, which can make it difficult for them also to get treatment for substance abuse disorders. And so what we're realizing is our young people are turning to alcohol and drugs to self-medicate to manage the pain of being rejected and bullied by family members, by peers, at school, in the community. And so what we're recognizing is that our young people who have more rejection at school, that's correlated with a higher risk of substance abuse, particularly in our LGBTQ teens. So what am I saying here? What is this information really about? It is for us to recognize that our kids deserve to be affirmed and loved and not conditional love where they have to fit in a certain mold, have a particular identity, dress in a certain attire, um, have a particular sexual orientation, but that we take some time to understand our kids. Now, of course, do we want to get them support when they're dealing with mental health concerns? Absolutely. Do we want to give them support if they're having problems with substance abuse or addiction? Most certainly. Eating disorders? Absolutely. They're not sleeping well, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts or behavior. These are all very appropriate times for your young person to be receiving mental health treatment. But you did not hear in there at all any mental health treatment being recommended to convert a young person to something that they don't identify as. 
at that. And we talked about that in the initial episode in this series. There is no such thing as an ethical practice of conversion disorder. We want affirming and supportive spaces for our young people, which means that as people that love them, that we might have to have some conversations that are uncomfortable. Um, that we may, in getting to know our young people, recognize that they keep a lot of things from us because they don't feel like they can trust us with that information. We know that when young people feel isolated, then they are much more likely to turn to things that are unhealthy and destructive. And so we want to be those safe spaces for our young people because, again, they deserve to be affirmed, loved, and safe. So I want to give you all some LGBT QIA plus youth support resources, and I will drop them um, in the description for the episode. Um, GLSEN, some of these you've heard about in previous episodes, GSA Network, LGBTQ Student Resources and Support, PFLAG, the Point Foundation, Safe Schools Coalition, and the Trevor Project. These are also opportunities for parents, educators, loved ones, friends, um, to be able to get information about how you can support a young person in your life. Our youth deserve to have a safe, affirming environment that is free from rejection, isolation, bullying, and safety issues. It's important that we are the people that create those safe spaces. Be well.